Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. to Dear Hank and John. Or as I like to think of it, Dear Randall and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers and sometimes a brother and a friend answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Today, oh, sorry, I have to tell a dad joke. My dad joke is, do you know why uh, physics uh, and biology broke up? Uh, No, why? Because there was no chemistry. (sighs) Um, Though one has to say that there is plot, there's lots of chemistry in biology, but there isn't really any in physics. You know, it, it physical chemistry <laughs> is just sort of the scariest type of physics. So I, yeah, I took that class. I was just, I was just whining about that class as a forty-two-year-old man. Twenty years later, I was whining about that class. Anything that exists on the boundary between those, you know, the major branches of science, it's always harder than e- either yeah. one of the the things that it shares. <laughs> it's- yeah. It's it's like nobody knows what to do now. They're like, but th- th- there's no one specializing in this, so we haven't figured out how to. But it's it's all the same thing, Randall, as you, I'm sure know. And that thing is science. Yeah. Well, I guess it's all. Fi- I guess it's all particles. Yeah. Or or you know waves, waves or some kind of uh, complicated construct that we yeah. simplify into. One or one of one or the other of these models, right? Into the idea of particles and waves. It's all fields doing field stuff to each other, and we don't know why. There's gauges in there somewhere. Oh, I didn't know about those. C- certainly, yeah. Terrible I'll, I'll news pretend for me. I know more about those. There's <laughs> there's tensors. I'm sure you know. It's probably some tensors They're, drifting I, around somewhere. Uh huh. It's definitely vectors. Yeah. Um, oh, for sure. Scalars. Yeah. Uh, so Randall, if you don't know. Uh, has been making a comic on the internet called XKCD f- since 2005? Five? Five? <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. Wow. Look at me. Uh, that I was a fan of and have been a fan of for the whole time. I mean, it, it it's it's legendary. Uh, as a person who creates on the internet, generally, it's uh, great to see somebody who's careful and good at being a creator on the internet and as a person who does science communication specifically. It's uh, it's kind of a bit of a honor to be here with you. I was just talking to Deboki, who is our editorial assistant, 
um, and helps with you know collecting questions and doing research to figure out if we can try and answer them. And she was in her, we were in the little dock together and she saw your icon and she was like, why is Randall Monroe in my, looking at my terrible research notes? So that's the, that's the, the slot of the world that you exist inside of. Um, you make people nervous when you're inside of their research notes. No, I mean, well, you know, you've shown up in my research notes. I don't think I've mentioned this in, in the sense that sometimes I'll get a question and I'll think, oh, you know, this is a weird question, but it's really fun. And I can see a way that I can do a deep dive into this that, you know, will will involve so much kind of heavy duty research that I feel like probably no one has devoted that much energy to this question before. <laughs> but, you know, I'll Google around to see, has anyone else ever tackled this? Mm-hmm. And then occasionally one of your videos will come up and in like, you know, 90 seconds or 30 seconds, you'll run through what I know must have been about two, you know, two or three hours of research and, you know, very careful calculation. I'm like, oh man, he's doing the thing I was going to do. Damn. All right. Well, <laughs> I'm probably only doing the thing you were going to do because you taught me how to do it by doing it first. No, and I, and but <laughs> I, I, I always honestly kind of appreciate it because I'm excited. Like, what, yeah. what's fun about these things is getting to the answer. And when I discover someone mm-hmm. else has, has, uh, has, you know, scooped me and found the answer. I'm just excited. And then especially yeah. excited when they present it in a fun way like you do. Well, Randall has, Randall has a book out. It's called What If 2. It's the sequel, I guess, of a kind to What If, the first What If, in which uh, serious scientific answers are given to absurd hypothetical questions. And it's an absolute delight. I learn, it's, it's like the coolest way to learn how the world actually works. You do... I can see a tremendous amount of work going into not every question, but uh, a a huge number of the questions. Uh, It's really delightfully put together so that some of the questions really you go deep, some of the questions you go less deep, some of the questions you don't go deep at all. And so, for example, uh, Dylan wrote to you, and this can be our first question. We're going to do a mix of questions from the book, from people who sent us questions uh, in in this episode. But we're going to start with one from Dylan that was written to you. What would happen if the Earth's rotation were sped up until a day only lasted one second? This is the kind of question that we would get on Dear Hank and John, but you have done a lot of research into what would actually happen, uh, and I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you if that's... So my first... Like, my headspace goes to, first of all, that's going to be not possible to do, but let's just assume that it's possible. Will I end up still on the planet? Um, you'll be there for at least a few seconds. <laughs> um what we're, okay tell me how how do i die <laughs> well so the earth the earth is um spinning and if you make it spin uh right now it's spinning uh at a speed where it does not tear itself apart yes uh it's one of my one of the one of my favorite things about this planet it remains in you know roughly the same shape uh, mm-hmm. most of the time mm-hmm. but it is bulging out a little in the middle uh like around the equator it kind of pancakes out because it's spinning and that, you know, centrifugal force or, you know, centripetal acceleration or however, you know, the, uh, <laughs> if you're the physics fi- pedants, you're you know, depending person. on who you... Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it leads to the middle part of the Earth being flung outward. And and so that's why, for example, you weigh, you know, maybe a, a up to a pound less if you go down to the equator than if you're at the poles. You're actually being pulled away by the speed that you are traveling. Yes, there are the two different effects. There's because the Earth is spinning, it flings you outward, 
And so you're being flung away from the earth a little bit, and that cancels at some of your weight. <laughs> and because the earth is kind of pancake-shaped, you're farther from the center of the earth. Oh, yeah. This is why Mount Ever- the peak of Mount Everest is not the farthest thing from the center of the earth. Right, right. The um, There are some mountains in the Andes that are the yeah. farthest from the earth's axis and from the uh, the center. Yeah. Because they're on the bulge. Yeah. And so the, the problem is if... So right now it takes... Um, Light can circle the equator if you built, you know, a tube around the equator with mirrors. Uh, it could circle the equator in, you know, about about seven times in a second. Which means if the Earth is spinning fast enough that each day lasts one second. Um, That's really fast. Yes, it means <laughs> that the equator would be moving at about, you know, a little over 10% of the speed of light. Okay, yeah, that, that definitely, that puts it into some context. Yeah, so right now... That planet's not going to hold itself together. Yeah, so right now gravity is, if, you're sta- if I go and stand on the equator, gravity is maybe a hundred times stronger, you know, or a little more, a uh, hundred times stronger than the force trying to fling me outward. If you speed up the Earth from the current, you know, it's about a thousand miles an hour up to the speed of light, uh-huh. which has a lot more digits in it, uh, gravity is no longer even a factor. <laughs> it's not it. You might as well not put it in the equation. Right, exactly. It's one of those yeah. things like, oh, the, the the number of digits in the in the forces from the rotation and the centrifugal force have so many more digits than the gravity numbers that you're like, well, I know I can ignore those just from looking at how big the numbers are. And so you yeah, you can work out that like you and everything around you would be flung outward. And because the other stuff around you would be flung outward at the same speed you were, right. you might actually survive for a few, you know milliseconds you'd be you'd have a bunch of the the air would come with you the ground would come with you yeah and so the the ground you know if as the midsection of the earth uh starts to spread apart it would Mm -hmm. have to break apart which it would end up probably doing unevenly so you'd have the ground right you know fragmenting around you right you get get yourself a really solid piece of ground that maybe can stick you could stick with yeah just hold on to it and because like you're in this scenario where we're sort of waving a magic wand and speeding up the Earth, you are being kind of magically sped up by the by the hypothetical. We're assuming that that just mm-hmm. happens, and then from then on, we're going to let physics take over and see what happens. But then from your point of view, the problem isn't so much that you're spinning, because you're not spinning anymore. You're moving in a straight line away from out, uh, out. Uh, the yes. Earth, you know, along the direction that the the that the earth was traveling uh at that your chunk of the earth was traveling so but i'm but i'm not like shooting through anything no because all the stuff is shooting with me yeah so the question is like so that's not gonna kill me at what point does the stresses being put on the stuff around you by the adjacent uh parts of the earth that are shooting off in a slightly different direction at what point do Mm -hmm. those stresses uh uh cause you problems well, also the app, like air is going to be a problem. It's going to push on itself. It's going to push itself. Like it's going to, the air will eventually get low enough pressure that I won't be able to breathe. Yeah. And it, it'll, there will, won't be anything holding it there. It'll only take about a second or so for the air, you know, around you to have uh, spread out enough, you know, as it's, it's spreading out and pancaking outward the same way as the earth into this kind mm-hmm. of disc. Um, Within yes. about a second or so, the air would be too thin, too thin for you to breathe. That's and that's what kills me. Probably not. I think. Oh, I, <laughs> I think that you would probably not uh, last long enough to asphyxiate. Okay. It it does depend a little bit on exactly what happens with what pieces of the crust are around you. You think I'm going to get hit by something? You know, I'm not sure. 
Anytime you have anything moving at 10% of the speed of light, though, any interaction becomes such a huge problem. So uh -huh. when the Earth starts expanding outward, the first thing we encounter that's not part of the Earth, you know, not part of our scenario here, mm -hmm. uh, is we've got all those uh, satellites around us. Mm -hmm. And so the expanding Earth would uh, be nicely lined up. We've got a whole ring of geostationary satellites around us. Mm -hmm. And it would only take about a second or so for the disk to reach that belt of geostationary satellites. And I'm not going to get hit by a satellite, but probably somebody is and definitely something is. Yeah. And so like once the satellites hit the expanding edge of the atmosphere, you know, uh, they'll be they'll be vaporized. I think about 40 milliseconds um, into the scenario is about when the ISS will get hit. It'll be one of the first Which ones. Which is quick. It's pretty it's, low. It's low. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. from that, there'll be a blast of, you know, gamma rays and uh, it'll be sort of like a like a nuclear bomb going off. And so. Right. And every every single satellite that we hit is another nuclear yeah, bomb. Yeah. And off. so you're you're surrounded by a lot of exciting physics happening all at once. Yes. And which is never where you want to be. Exactly. You want to in, in general, in physics, you want to try to place yourself when you have a thing that's doing cool <laughs> physics. Yeah. You want to be yeah. on the other side of the thing where the yes. is, from where the physics is uh -huh. happening. Be, be, yes, you say this in the book. This is a, one of the main rules of science is be <laughs> on the side where the interesting physics isn't happening. Yeah, you know, you've got a laser and there's like the hand grip with the battery and then there's the end with uh -huh. the laser and you stay on the hand grip side and let the laser stuff happen out on the other side. Yeah, and that's also what... So so what I would want to be in this situation is directly on the North Pole. I'd still die, but maybe a little less fast. Yeah, right at the North Pole. I'd have Pole, to wait for all those nuclear explosions to get to me. Yeah, and right at the North Pole, you know, you're still part of the scenario, so I guess you are pirouetting once a second. Yes. But I think pirouetting once a second is survivable. I could do that. Yeah. I Although, I, I, as I say that, I'm thinking... I haven't actually tried to pirouette once a second. Maybe that's faster than it sounds. It's I feel you're like right. Anyone who does ballet <laughs> who's listening to this is gonna be like, oh boy, you're after this podcast is over, you're gonna go try that and you're gonna find out. Yeah. <laughs> Do my eyes stay in my body or not? Yeah. I, I think like it's probably it, there's, okay. There's a speed at which you can pirouette and, and it do, it does become a health problem. Mm-hmm. Especially if you let your arms swing outward and then Oh you yeah, the you gotta you gotta definitely bring them in tight. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't, and it's like this every question where you think that this isn't going to be that interesting, and then it turns out uh, that it's it is in fact amazingly interesting. We're going to do a question from from one of our listeners now. This one is from Shane, who sent this back in February, uh, but we searched the inbox for a particular <laughs> string to see if anybody asked a question that maybe would end in. Uh, the way that Chains did. P.S. It would be super cool if your team did a collaboration with Randall Monroe on a complicated science question submission since he's going to be promoting What If Too soon. Is Do you know Shane? Uh, no, I don't, but I really appreciate it. Seems like he's the, on your team. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. Um, no, thanks for, the, thanks for the plug. Thanks for, I guess, making all of this happen. Yeah, so here's what happens. So we're, now we're going to see what happens when we apply these skills to a question Randall has never heard before. It is, dear Hank and Randall, what if there was a supervolcano a few months away from eruption and a large asteroid struck that exact spot? Shane. So this is a problem because it's geology, uh, which is neither of our areas of expertise. But in the, in the vein of how I think what if would answer this question, 
Uh, it probably would be one of the shorter answers, and it would probably be nothing good. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a safe bet. <laughs> I don't know. It, I think that's an interesting one because um, so people really often, like when you have these big forces interacting with each other, people, it's like, will either want to play them off each other or, um, you know, like use one of them to stop the other or ask, will one of them magnify the other? And like, right. it's sometimes it's not always clear which it's going to be because people, there's actually a page on the uh, the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration's website about <laughs> answering the question, like, yeah. why don't we nuke hurricanes? And, yeah. And, yep. and this, is, this is not great yeah. that we're here, but we're here. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and they've had that for a long time, which I know because I've stumbled on that page frequently in the course of trying to answer <laughs> people's questions. Um, and, and the answer is hurricanes are the first answer is just like, no, that's bad for the reasons you'd think. Like, yeah, that's not you're, you're throwing a bunch of radiation into a whirlwind. Like, yeah, <laughs> but um, it's also bad. Like hurricanes are powered by the heat of the ocean surface. Mm-hmm causing air to gain energy and rise, uh, and then it condenses. And and that process, like, transports heat energy from the ocean surface into the atmosphere, which creates a hurricane. And you're like, I think what this problem needs is more heat energy. Just a lot. We need to get the hottest thing we can do as humans. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and put that in there. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like, no, that, that would, if anything, probably make it worse. Um, but yeah. people will also ask this, like, okay, you have a volcano about to erupt. Can we use a nuclear weapon to seal it off in some way? And once again, like th- we, that's yeah, we're thinking like, what's the what's the most powerful thing we have? Why don't we throw that at the problem? Yeah, but- and 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 whether you're trying to trigger the volcano or stop the volcano, it sort of feels like, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> stop. Well, I mean, and one thing that we are not good at understanding is how powerful the Earth is. Yeah. Like the amount of energy inside of the Earth. We're very lucky to have a fairly stable, well, lucky, we wouldn't exist otherwise, to have a stable like plate tectonics, like stable enough that uh, it isn't constantly messing with the atmosphere and throwing things into completely like disarray, but not so stable that we have a locked planet that doesn't have any cycling of minerals and stuff because we get mm-hmm. these this fun plate tectonics thing where yeah. like none of the minerals on earth have been around the whole time. Yeah, or yeah. You, it's anyway. it's a I I like I like learning about things that earth has that no one else has. You know, and life is the big be, one, yeah, that, I, you know, as far as we yeah. know. But uh uh-huh. I, I like plate tectonics. That's uh Yeah. It's There's it's a couple us. of moons that kind of have plate yeah, tectonics. Yeah, if you count the ice icy. moving around. Yeah. But, I, do you want to have a fight over whether ice is a rock because this happened to me recently with geologists? Oh. Um no, I'm 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 enthusiastic about it, embracing whatever definition is more funny at the time. <laughs> I, I've sort of come into the, this kind of enlightenment after many years of being kind of pedantic about terminology and thinking that mm-hmm. we need to be clear about what we what we mean and 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 sort of embrace the fact that like okay everyone is on different pages about what things mean and we do our best to like right. come up with common definitions, but there's also a certain amount of me- meeting other people where they are. Uh, yes. And you, so I think you have to embrace ambiguity and some uncertainty. Absolutely. I entirely agree. And also, yeah. I don't care how you say GIF. Um, <laughs> so, so the the ast- I, I think that, that a big enough asteroid could maybe make the thing happen a little earlier. But the, if the Earth is going to do a super volcano, it's... It's going to happen and it's going to be bad. Like the the amount, the, the mass of crust that has to be lifted 
to do a supervolcano is probably bigger than the massive crust that has ever been ejected by an asteroid. At least, at least since like the late heavy bombardment. Yeah, yeah. The that would the, be my, that would be my guess. Yeah, I know. I think that's I think that's right. Um, the reason that I'm I feel pretty confident that the asteroid could trigger a supervolcano eruption, or you know, could could trigger this kind of thing, is that often this is what triggers volcanic eruptions, not an asteroid. But um, it's not. You know, we think of a volcano as like the pressure builds up and up and up and up, and then it bursts out upward, you know, blowing the the lid off, as it, mm-hmm. as it were. But, th- for example, with Mount St. Helens, what happened was, uh, you know, this this is a volcano that erupted in uh, near the, the Oregon-Washington border in the 1981, uh, 80. 80? 80, yeah. I think it was 80. Yeah, yeah 1980. And um, what happened there is they saw the mountain bulging up, you know, clearly there's magma building up under it. They knew that this was, you know, all right, this is a volcano we got to watch. Um, and then at some point the there the bulge went up and out far enough that there was a landslide so it's like the cap slid mm-hmm. off mm-hmm. and then the eruption was the magma chamber suddenly being exposed at high pressure you know the magma tubes the 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 internal plumbing of the volcano the cap just kind of got it slid off by gravity mm-hmm. and then that exposed the the pressurized interior that you know blasted outward and created the the you know, giant cloud of ejecta and the the lahars and all the stuff that flowed out of the volcano. But it really was just the 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 lid got removed, and then right. that's when the eruption happened. And so, yeah, if you if you smack the top of a volcano, you can uncork it. You can reveal uh, release the pressure inside, and then it goes. Yeah, and then the the but you're right about the power. You know, when we look back, so it was a really big discovery in the in the 80s uh, and and up through the present about the asteroid, you know, hitting and, and causing the dinosaur extinction. Mm-hmm. Yes, people forget that when we were children, they didn't know about this for yeah. sure. There was a lot of arguing. I know, it's fun. The books that I read, I, the dinosaur books yeah. I read, you know, even fairly contemporary ones would mm-hmm. be full of like, here are all the different dinosaurs we know about. Here's, you know... Their, their features, how they lived. Why did they die? No one really knows. Could be anything, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> There's lots of ideas. Yeah, and then, and then, and and the asteroid idea seemed outlandish when uh, it was proposed. You know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Walter Alvarez and the the people who, who kind of pushed that idea, and until they found the crater that was sort of the smoking gun and determined it was really linked uh, to the extinction, you know, we it, it seemed... Like the idea that an asteroid could come along and hit the Earth and cause a bunch of disruption was sort of hypothetical. Mm-hmm. But but the thing about those mass extinctions is that asteroid impact explains one of the kind of five big mass extinctions in the historical record. The other four are all... N- no one's been able to find asteroids that are really conclusively linked to those other four mass extinctions. Mm-hmm. But they are all associated with large... Uh, volcanic outpourings. Yeah, um, these large igneous provinces, which which calling them a volcano is sort of. Uh, <laughs> I feel like that doesn't get across what we're talking about. Yeah, a pro- the problem with saying large igneous provinces yeah. is that it sounds less scary than a volcano. But the problem is, with saying <laughs> volcano is that it also yeah. sounds less scary than what actually happened. Yeah, which is like your entire the ent- an entire country became volcano. You know, it's like. <laughs> It just stopped being land there. It's like it wasn't like there was an eruption outward from a point. It's just like lava just kind of started blorping out 
across the whole landscape. Um, and you'll find these mile deep, uh, uh, miles deep layers of just mm. lava that was all released at once. Um, the uh, the Palisades in New York, uh, if you're driving across the the Hudson on the bridge there, what you're seeing there is I think it's the Triassic, uh, the end Triassic Blorp. magmatic outpouring, uh, large igneous province, mm-hmm. and it's it makes these cool columns as the the lava piles up. And so these these eruptions are just like the worst thing that can happen to life because they're associated with obviously you don't want to be covered in lava so it's very bad for you if you're yeah, if just it's near, happening nearby where you problems live. but then you know you get all kinds of poison gases pouring out into the landscape uh, over the landscape giant uh, pulses of carbon released into the atmosphere which causes as we have recently sort of really figured out rapid warming yeah and so uh, uh, all of those really big extinctions those other four all really seem there seems to be the smoking gun of these large uh, volcanic events and the most interesting twist the dinosaur I'm, extinction I, okay also has one of those. Oh. It's in what's now India, the uh, the Deccan Traps, and it happened at just about the same time as the asteroid, you know, the meteor impact. I mean, it was a big meteor impact. What, like, my yeah. brain says those things could be connected to each other. Yeah, my first thought when I learned about this was, hey, did India happen to be right on the other side of the Earth? <laughs> yeah, like was it, it like, like some kind of a resonating co- thing? Coalesce there, yeah, yeah. And like, and unfortunately, like I, I dug up some old maps and I was like, nope, it wasn't. Okay, so much for that theory. But <laughs> um, the the there are a couple of this is still you know being uh, in the last five years or so. It's been the uh, there's been a lot of new uh, research on it. But there's there is some some decent suggestions as they try mm. to get the timeline exactly right that maybe. The Deccan traps were getting going, but then when the asteroid hit in Mexico, you know, in what's now the Yucatan Peninsula, um, that seems to have been associated with the uh, the magmatic outpouring suddenly kicking way up a, mm. a notch. And it's hard not to think maybe there's a causal uh, effect there. Yeah. So, whoa, I didn't know about that. Second, I assume... Uh, that something in in the last sixty or five million years, and I'm only assuming this for my own mental health, uh, has changed on the Earth so that these uh, w- w- large magmatic outpourings, I think, is what you were saying, aren't possible anymore, and we shouldn't have to worry about it. Don't answer the question. <laughs> we're just gonna move on. Uh, I will not answer the question as you request. <laughs> We all have a little bit of research to do. Volcanoes are bad, but they're not as bad as whatever this other kind of thing is. I'm going to do another question from your book. This is from, there's a little short short answers sections, which I love. Break it up a little bit. Uh, keep, it, keep it spicy. Sure. Um, it's from James Wilson, who asks, if I shot a rocket and a bullet through Jupiter's center, would they come out the other side? No. Definitely not. It says, there's an illustration, it mm-hmm. says, science fact, Jupiter is bulletproof. It is. Um, you know, you, you think gas giant, maybe uh, maybe it's just yeah. like a big blob of atmosphere. But uh, mm-hmm. the, 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 the gas only goes down a little ways, and then it just gets denser and denser. And, and the, the middle of Jupiter is, is quite solid and, and, you know, possibly uh, crystalline metallic hydrogen or something like that. Yes. When you when you think solid, don't think that there's a ro- like there's a rocky planet down there. Think that the the density of the gas just gets so dense that it eventually solidifies. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, and to some extent, uh, 
we don't know exactly what's going sure. on down Never there. Never been there. Yeah, no one's, no one's visited the core of Jupiter and uh, uh, returned. <laughs> and and to no one ever back. will. Yeah. Um, we, we also, we haven't even got close to visiting the core of our planet. You and know, we're like right here. One of, one of my, I think one of my favorite uh, science facts, just to derail briefly, is <laughs> that the, the Earth is slowing down because of the moon's uh, gravity and uh-huh. because of tidal friction. And so throughout yeah. all of Earth's history, it's been slowing down. Mm-hmm. Used to be way but, faster. Yeah, yeah. The days used to be shorter. Um, uh, but since uh, a little before I was born, it's been speeding up. Yeah, the, <laughs> the Twitter is upset about this right now. I've been several people have uh-huh. tagged oh, me. Okay. They've been like, oh, "I'm exciting. terrified. Should I be worried about this?" And I'm like, "No." We and they're like, <laughs> well, "Why?" And we're like, "Well." <laughs> <laughs> well, so what what I really like about it is, you know, there was a few years ago, I, I stumbled on a, a, a geophysicist talking about this, mm-hmm. about how, like, we sort of know the reason. And it's something going on with the turbulent currents in the in the outer core of the Earth, most likely. Um, you know, there's there's stuff flowing around and that's what Redistribu- creates the magnetic Redistribution field. of mass. Yeah. And it's like chaotic. So it's yeah, it's going to do these random fluctuations up and down. Um mm-hmm. But it's also, it's just so hard to see the interior of the Earth because there's all this rock in the way that they're like, yeah. the, these currents are, are un, you know, the, the patterns that are causing this are unknown and possibly unknowable. Yep. And, and I just like that there's something, it's right there, the core of the Earth, it's directly below both of us right now. Uh-huh. But it's just doing, it's doing its own thing and we, we are not, it's like beyond our, our understanding. Yeah. And and for the last four billion years, we've just been like one system of weird chemistry that's talking to itself now, just on in a little in a very thin little film on the surface of this ball that's doing its own thing. We're all just leaching its heat, like yeah. the this leftover heat from the Earth's formation, and we're just sort of huddled around it. <laughs> and luckily, it's pretty well insulated. Yeah, so. yeah. It's going to keep doing its thing. Hopefully not too much, though. It's I'm inc- still worried about this volcanic situation. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm worried about it is, it is not only well insulated, but increasingly well insulated in uh, recent years. Right. Now, the, um, now we're not even letting the, the heat get off the surface. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, yes, we're working on that. Yeah. Maybe by the time this podcast comes out, we'll have some legislation that's going to be on the books. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm very excited. Uh, yeah. That, no, that's, it's... Uh... I'm I'm glad we're moving on this. I'm glad we're moving on this eventually finally. We've we've only known about it for you know a hundred and <laughs> hundred and thirty, hundred and forty years now. Uh, yeah. Well, look, I've enjoyed my refrigerator and car. So there's that. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um what what is the price that we will pay? Who knows? Uh speaking of which, this podcast is brought to you by the price that we will pay. It's big, but it could be smaller if we'd all work together. Um, and this podcast is also sponsored by Physics Pedants, who uh, uh, who uh, <laughs> would like to clarify that they are merely precise about terminology, not actually pedants, which if you look yes. up in the dictionary uh, is defined in some other specific way. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by the, the side where the interesting physics is, the side where the interesting physics is. Stay away from there. You've got a body. This podcast is also brought to you by being obliterated by the International Space Station. Uh, just remember, when you are obliterated by the International Space Station, you 
are also obliterating the International Space Station. Wow, it's, it's that's great. The next best thing to being an astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> we got a Project for Awesome message. This is from Tiffany to Katrina. You'd probably hit me if I said any of this myself. So now that Hank is saying these nice things, you have to listen to them. Otherwise, it would be rude. Ha ha, suck it. You are my favorite crossword partner, my bestest friend, and I hope you know how much I look up to you symbolically because I'm still taller than you. Ha ha, suck it again. Of all the things that I am, my favorite thing is to be your older sister. Love you muchly. That's adorable. Oh, that's very sweet. (laughs) It's very sweet. I uh I like that so much. Um uh, I like I like siblings. Yeah. It's a it's a good vibe. Yeah. This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Zocdoc. Look, there are, I think it's fair to say, some imperfections in the American healthcare system, but there are ways that it actually has recently gotten easier. I don't compromise on a lot of things, but I do not love feeling like I can't find the right doctor. For me, and I've gotten very lucky that I have found some good doctors for me. When it comes to your health, there shouldn't be compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines slash their family group chat slash their crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or they happen to take your insurance. Instead, like you don't have to keep going back to a doctor who you don't like. You can check out ZocDoc, a place where you can find and book doctors who make you feel comfortable, who listen to you, who prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance type. So literally, no compromises. Because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you think. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more phone calls and waiting on hold with a receptionist. We don't have time for this anymore. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual, real patients. Booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even sometimes score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then you can book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash DearHank. Every time I know it's coming and I'm like, I'm going to have to say doc, ZocDoc.com right now, aren't I? And then I do. I'm getting good at it, everybody. ZocDoc.com. This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Trobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt, 
I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. All right, here's another question from one of our listeners. It's from Alec, who asks, Dear Hank and Randall, the Vatican City is really, really small, and there are 195 countries on Earth. But how many countries would there be if all of them were the size of Vatican City? Uh, so this is the easy one. You figure out how big the Vatican is, you figure out how big the land is, and then you divide them. And Deboki did that in my little notes here. Do you want to know the answer? Sure. Yeah. What? How much? Uh... It's gonna. It's gonna be three hundred and one million eight hundred and thirty-six thousand seven hundred thirty-five point six nine Vatican cities. So not everyone on Earth can have one. No, but uh, not even every American can. Yeah, have Yeah. Yeah. We're at what three three hundred thirty-two million or so. Oh, yeah, three thirty. Um, that's where my my brain. Yeah. I, think... I I upgrade the number every once in a while, but I recently went to three thirty. Is. <laughs> I think yeah. we just hit the point uh, uh, pretty recently where it really makes sense to say the world has eight billion people instead of seven billion. Oh, yeah, and that's gonna that's gonna take it, a second just, for my. It's been slowly, and I think we're now. We I think we're still under eight billion, but we're close enough now that any reasonable rounding gets you to eight. Right, and so it doesn't get well. It definitely doesn't get you to seven. So you can yeah. start to say, well, maybe it's time to start saying seven and a half. Which it was a while ago. Yeah. Or you can say 7.7. Yeah. And so, um, but yeah, the, uh, uh, the U.S. is is 332. So so we could have all but about 10%, you know, 90% of us could, of the Americans could have their own Vatican-sized country. Yeah. But you have to choose now which 10% doesn't get one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, we'll vote. We'll do a vote. Be like, all right, yeah, we're gonna, yeah. we have to have ten percent of you need to move somewhere. The problem is that a lot of these Vatican's are going to be in Alaska, and yeah. that's going to be tricky for. I you. mean, there's there there are large chunks of the Earth that, um, if if you're if you get a swatch of you know half a square kilometer, yeah, you know, if your swatch of half a square kilometer like you know includes uh, a cool beach resort and some farms, like that, cool, you've got a good country going. And if you know your swatch of land is a hundred miles away from the McMurdo Research Station in Antarctica, mm-hmm. you're going to need to develop some interesting trade policies, I guess. Figure out what <laughs> I don't know what you have a comparative advantage. Uh, yeah, mostly in uh, keeping people away from me. I think that's the main thing you can do with a country there and at that size. You could try to advertise cool penguin tourism or something, but you'd be competing with what, you know, probably a, of, a couple tens yeah. of millions of other people whose only industry is penguin tourism. Yeah. Uh, now, I definitely rather have just a, like a little bit of not a country right here than uh, a whole a whole Vatican-sized country some at some random point. Yeah, on yeah Earth. I think that's safe. 
I've got this was one of my very favorite questions from from your book. Could a person eat a whole cloud? Um, this question surprised me a bunch of different times. Because I know some things about clouds. They can be very big, but they don't have to be. It's it's on page 195, if you're looking. Mm-hmm. And so, so can, Randall, can I eat a cloud? Um, n- no. Uh, mm. not... Can I, drink, can I drink a cloud? So this is the question. I was like, okay, <laughs> wa- clouds are made of water. So mm-hmm. do you drink them or do you eat them? Well, uh, you breathe them, honestly. You don't yeah. do either of those things. Yeah, like, because water is, water is edible. Is it? But then I'm like, okay, well, or is it, it, you know, it's potable, which then led me to like, you know, what exactly, how do you, you know, if you're talking about <laughs> eating a vapor, you know, dr- like breathing is bringing it into your lungs, but eating is bringing it into your stomach. And so, mm-hmm. but you can swallow a gas. You can, yep. you know, you can, you can swallow air. And then uh, a little bit later, you burp it up. Um, but the so you've got this spectrum of things you eat, which are edible, and things you drink, which are potable. And I was trying to figure out what the exact midpoint is. I feel like it. I feel like it's soup, mm-hmm. like Slurpees. I think you drink, but like shave ice or uh, you know, like those uh, ice cones. I think they have yeah. different regional names. Crunch, crunch. Yeah, yeah. We're, but it's like it's sort of like a you know milkshakey texture sort of like ice cream and i feel like mm-hmm. you eat that because the but, teeth are getting involved a little bit yeah boba i don't know how to calculate i don't know how to how to classify that's that's a great point i think that boba you in the same vein as like a thin soup with noodles in it you both eat and drink it yeah you ingest boba <laughs> so if you try- and i do and i do <laughs> uh-huh no so yeah so if you try to eat a cloud you can swallow a chunk of moisture. You know, you could you could take some of the moist air from a cloud. You could float up there in a balloon or something and mm-hmm. take some of it into your mouth and swallow. And then you'd have mm-hmm. air in your stomach with the moisture in it. And the cloud would be in there. Yeah, and the cloud would be in there. And you could and then keep doing that. And there are some very small clouds. Yeah, yeah. There's, you know, because there, there's the big ones that you see and you're like, oh, who, I'm not who knows how that big one. that is. But then there's yeah. the little ones that just kind of very briefly block the sun as they go over you. Yes. Uh, those little wisps. The ones that are only out on the hottest of days where you're like, could you please be a little yeah. bit, a little bit bigger? And yeah, and I think those, I've looked at clouds from both sides now. Yeah, from I mean, I've looked from up, from down. Win and lose. From strange, from charm. Um, <laughs> no, the. Wow. If you do try to eat a cloud, though, like you can you can take it into your stomach. But anyone who has swallowed air, like anyone as a kid who yeah. discovered they could swallow air discovers like. Your stomach is like, hey, there's air in here. I, yeah. I need to do something about this. And then you burp it back out. You don't have to, though. N- it is possible for the air to pass through the whole digestive system. That's there's true. There's a couple of ways to increase the probability of this happening. The main one is to try and create a foam inside of your stomach, which is then harder to burp out. And your your body is more likely to pass those those that cloud through your whole digestive system, at which point you fart. And at that point, you did fully di- like eat the cloud. Yeah, yeah, and I think I mean so we can we can be more vague and say you can swallow the air and then it will Dumbass. uh yeah. you will have eaten it for a little bit. Um <laughs> which you know I suppose is true of anything, but um yeah, if you if you just start trying to swallow a cloud and you're you know swallowing more and more and more air, what's interesting though when you burp it out is that it 
the air that you burp out, you're like, well, I swallowed the moisture. I don't want to keep the air. Mm-hmm. So like when you're eating potato chips, they've got a lot of air in them. Yeah. And they've got a lot of, um, uh, uh, you know, potato chip. They've got a lot of potato, <laughs> a lot of oil. Um, and so when you like crunch them up in your mouth, the air escapes from your mouth and the potato part goes down your throat. And so with the cloud, what y- the, you can't chew them. <laughs> What what part of a cloud is cloud? Yeah, exactly. The cloud is like the water suspended in the air. Is it? Or is the cloud the air and the water together? Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, this is this is another of those kind of definition questions. I think that the funnier answer is that it's the water. That's easier yeah. to sort of get. Yeah. That's That feels like what I'm eating. Yeah, well, like, like the same when way you when you that. eat... Pringles, you know, like Pringles has the ad that's like, see, our chips have less air in the container. You're not buying air. You know, like, so with the cloud, what you're doing is you're trying to get the water from the cloud and get it into your digestive system. But if you're swallowing the air and then burping it out, the air that you burp out is going to be moistened by all the moisture in your body. Mm -hmm. And so if you eat a chunk of cloud and then you burp the air out, the air leaving your body is going to, yeah, it's going to be saturated with moisture. So you're going to you end up burping yeah, out yeah, more cloud. Yeah, you're making cloud. more cloud. <laughs> yeah, because your body is really, mo- is like moister than the environment. Um, because a cloud is not nearly as much stuff as you think. Yeah. Like you look at it, it feels like that's a lot of stuff, but in fact, it is not a lot of stuff. So so if I could condense all of the water out of the cloud, what are we talking about? In term- can I, could I even, if it was just the water... Could I consume that? Yeah. So one of those clouds that's sort of like house sized, the ones that'll block, so a cute block the cloud. sun for, yeah, that'll like, when yeah. they go over, you're like, oh, it gets dark for a second, then it gets light again. And you're like, oh, it's uh-huh. nighttime. Oh no, it's daytime again. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. One of those, it might just be like a couple glasses of water. This is what shocked me so much. I don't know why I assumed this, but I figured that that was going to be way more. I, I thought it was going to be like a half a year for me to drink that cloud. Yeah. No, you could one sitting, you could slam it back. <laughs> you could just chug a, you, I mean you need to get it out of the air into a glass but once it's there that's a problem that's we the tricky part yeah that's the trick you gotta put you gotta just wrap that cloud up in some kind of plastic thing my new cool startup down <laughs> builds it has a device that you can if you get the cloud in there it'll use us our patented oh. squeezing mechanism to juice the man cloud. So, somebody would oh, somebody would pay a lot of money for cloud juice <laughs> also, that is a fantastic name brand for a bottled water. Cloud juice. I like put that it. on. Put that on the label. All right. Nobody steal that from me. I like it. All right. Let's do one more question from from the Dear Hank and John box. It's from Huey, who asks, Dear Hank and Randall, if you were leading the Perseverance rover team and you discovered oil on Mars, would you tell the world about it? Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Very big news. That's 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 exciting. <laughs> Biggest news so far. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you think, oh, we struck oil, you know, what you sort of immediately think of is, oh, this is now an economic thing that people will want to extract. Mm-hmm. But what's so much Mars more doesn't exciting, have that problem. Yeah. What's, first of all, you can't yeah. get. It's not getting here. That's yeah. And it, it, so, like, we it's we're right now putting like decades of effort and a huge amount of engineering and work by smart people to try to get a bunch of little test tubes full of rock back from Mars. Yeah. It's like, it's going to cost many billions of dollars. You're going to get enough oil for your Zippo lighter back here. And it's going to take two decades (laughs) and it's going to cost you, you know, $30 billion. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. And then you're going so to be able to. So that's not the yeah. concern. Yes. But the, the but this is this is the biggest news so far. Yes, because oil is dead critters. It's biotic. Yes. It's, yeah. It's all, it's all that oil under the uh, uh, that we find under the earth is from various living organisms that died and were compressed. And so right now they are on Mars. Everyone's looking for, you know, not always, not always saying they're specifically looking for it, but everyone is certainly keeping an eye out for yes. signs of past life on Mars. And, and that would be a that would be a big clue. That would be finding that, the actual some of that Texas tea. That's the equivalent of up. like of like you know driving around a big rock and behind it finding some skeletons. You're like, oh hey, I don't need I don't need a, a fancy spectrometry. Yeah. You know, I don't need to yeah. to return a sample for analysis and be like, oh yeah, there's there's some bones. That thing's look, it's got blades on its arms. You know, like one of the, one of the questions in your book uh, uh, in What F Two is something like how how much of my oil is dinosaur. Like what is what is the percentage that is actually interesting megafauna rather than just boring stuff? Yeah, and and it's it's a it's there's a percentage. Um, in general, oil, uh, uh, you know, crude oil. The oil comes from organisms that died in the ocean. Mm. It's mostly like like marine sediments. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't a hard and fast rule, but. That is what mostly ends up uh, uh, producing those. Whereas um, coal is the remnants of organisms, terrestrial organisms. Oh, okay. And these are just because of differences in the in the deposition environment. Um, but then at the same time, like w- things, uh, different forms of these these coal, oil, natural gas can be sort of converted into each other depending on what combinations of pressures and times and temperatures they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, so your 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 plastic dinosaur, it still may contain some dinosaur. You know, there right. there were there were some aquatic dinosaurs, and there are some land environments that did end up contributing to oil deposits. But there's also just the reality that um, most of the so like most of the CO2 that has been converted by life into complex carbon chains that would eventually get turned into um, fossil fuels. Most most of that that's done is done not by big, interesting animals. It's done by bacteria. It's done by plants. It's just that's that's or most of the biomass of the Earth is not in, you know, lions and bison yeah, yeah, it's and and, and trees Grass. really are big contributors. Um, yeah, uh, I think I think it's interesting. I now I might I might be getting this wrong. I think um, on land, like the pyramid of how much mass is in primary producers versus secondary producers is inverted. Mm-hmm. Is it, it? It's um, on land, trees are most of the mass. Yeah. Um, whereas in the ocean. It's like the secondary and and tertiary, oh. the other end of the food chain that makes up most of the actual mass. They're just um, be- okay, but um, and and I'm not I'm not sure why. I guess that's just how it shakes out. But <laughs> the um, but yeah. So so those big trees, trees I think are big and cool and charismatic, and they there's this period that my I think my favorite geologic period is the Carboniferous, mm-hmm. which is named because it's. We find uh, all these carbon deposits. It's very carbony. Yeah, and it's when we got 
we got these huge forests of these big like fern like kind of uh, tree like things. Um, and this was kind of the first part of Earth's history where when I look at reconstructions of it, it feels like a recognizable mm-hmm. like environment to me. Like I, if, you, if you and I encourage people to just Google like Google image search like Carboniferous, you know, paleo art <laughs> landscape. It it looks like uh, the the you know it's we had what looks like a forest. You know, it mm-hmm. wouldn't have looked right. It looks like that's a weird forest with ferns and ser- giant bugs, and the trees don't look right when you really look at them. You're like, oh, these are these are strange, um, not normal trees. But you're still like first gut instinct seeing it is like, oh yeah, forests. I know what those are. It's like a swamp, mm-hmm. you know, it's a forest. And so that's like the first time that Earth feels like home to me. <laughs> is the Carboniferous. That's and cute. yeah, and, and that's where most of our coal deposits uh, come from is, is uh, the Carboniferous. So I, I guess, um, yeah, straight hitting oil on Mars immediately tells yeah. us there is a period in the past when this was laid yeah. down, when the Earth looked something more like, when Mars looked something more like uh uh, what Earth looks like now. Yeah. Uh, skeletons behind a rock. <laughs> yes. I mean, that would be the easiest. Everyone, I mean, everyone, you you get all these internet people looking at pictures of Mars and being like, I think I see a face. I think, you know, I see a skeleton. It's like yeah. all the NASA people are, are if, if there's a skull there, they're going to go look at it. But there's, you know. <laughs> Very excited. There's, yeah. But there's also a lot of rocks that look like faces from certain there areas. Are. We are. We're good at identifying things that look like faces specifically and like things that we want them to look like in general. Yeah. Well, in in it in Mars news uh this week, uh Curiosity has officially been on this I cannot believe this. Has been on the surface of Mars for 10 years. So we've just hit a decade of Curiosity doing science on Mars on August 5th. Uh, that's when it landed. And since then, it's been very busy. It's climbed about 2,000 feet. It's driven almost 18 miles. It's studied 41 different rocks and soil samples with its bevy of scientific instruments, which have also taken which have, which have also taken pictures of clouds and of moons and of the landscape and measured the amount of radiation that future astronauts will have to contend with when they are scoping out Mars. And the rover found that Gale Crater had a lake once, uh, which meant that at least tens of millions of years ago, there was liquid water uh, in that crater. So Curiosity has had its mission extended now for another three years, even though it's looking pretty beat up. I like, you know, I people are, you know, not happy that Curiosity's wheels have taken such a beating in it's do, doing its mission. But it does look like it's been on Mars for 10 years. Yeah. And that's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, and I'm, I'm so impressed that it, I'm impressed yeah. that all of these, every time they're going to, they're going to land a new one. I'm just like, this is, this can't work. I've, this I've, is not going to work. I've done engineering That's how before. I felt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, you never have this many things work on the first try. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. You're doing and, this once? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and like you can't fly out there and tweak something if there's something wrong and no. it's just such an incredible achievement. I'm so impressed. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, the wheels got a little beat up, but like it's really incredible that that's the biggest yeah. problem that they've had, you know. It's Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um And I mean it's you know, maybe it's now that now that perseverance has landed, uh suddenly curiosity is like it's like, oh, the, <laughs> the new cool person came into town and now I'm self-conscious about my wheels. Uh, but like, no, they did you don't build need to... the, they did build Perseverance's wheels different. Yeah. They learned some, they learned some lessons there. 
Um, they, do you know, I was fascinated to find out what the problem was with the wheels, yeah. um, which is that the way that erosion works on Mars is all windblown erosion. And so it looks like there's a bunch of rocks on the surface of Mars, and a lot of them are rocks, but a lot of them are just the bedrock that has been eroded. And what happens is um, the like hard, like slightly harder rock in the bedrock will get eroded by wind. And the stuff that's been exposed for longer has been eroded for a longer period of time. And so it's thinner. And then as it goes down, as like time passes, you know, geologically, the stuff that has been eroded has been exposed Mm -hmm. more recently is thicker. And so basically the way that erosion works on Mars, it creates spikes, (laughs) just sharp rock spikes that are not things you can push over. They are just spikes that shoot up into the air and, uh, yeah. You gotta drive a big heavy rover around on those. It's a problem. It's it's always weird when nature, like through some very simple laws of of physics or or uh uh yeah. you know geology, does something weird like creating spikes. There's a yeah. there's a theory where I think hoping to confirm this uh potentially with uh, some of the uh orbiters we're sending to Jupiter, but the the theory is that some of those icy planets that are, you know, like the icy moons, the the Mm-hmm. The moons of Jupiter, like Europa, and then Pluto, and uh, uh, you know the the further out Kuiper Belt objects. The theory is that those are maybe covered in spikes, um, because the way the ice melts uh, when it's heated by the sun, you get this weird. There's this weird effect that happens sometimes um, where the the little hol- random dips that get created because of some the sun geometry end up melting faster. Mm-hmm. And so you have these hollows, like the low areas get lower and the high areas right. stay high and you end up with spikes. It, they're called uh, penitentites, I think. So, which doesn't sound nice. No, and so, and and um, and this happens in some earth, uh, uh, you know, ice fields with the right combination of, you know, snow and sun and moisture. Mm-hmm. And so it's possible that if you tried to land on the ice surface of, you know, of Europa or Pluto, as you approached, you'd find, oh, the whole landscape is just 10-foot spikes. Hopefully we'll send something that's not a person first to check that yeah, out. Yeah, and but I'll still feel bad if we build a rover and spend, you know, <laughs> 30 years, like, <laughs> developing the wheels and developing everything. It's all right, we've learned how to deal with, uh, you know, the Mars surface. We've made the wheels uh-huh. extra tough, and then we lower it, and, and it, like, <laughs> comes like, down for a landing on, on Europa, and it's just like wedged between two giant spikes and it's sitting there with the wheels <laughs> spinning in the air and we're like all right we this was a concern with the moon mm-hmm. uh we weren't sure if it was just going to be like you know and i don't see why it couldn't be just you know 10 feet deep dust yeah yeah i think there's um there's an arthur c clark story from before we landed about mm. a, a a space a spacecraft landing on the moon and just sinking in hundreds of feet deep why why wouldn't it? Um, it's like oh well this is a problem we're yeah gonna like it, the erosion works differently there's no atmosphere who knows how this stuff works and so like that first step you know the neil armstrong stepping off of the the thing mm-hmm. like we ha- they had something of an idea just because the lander had not sunk in yeah and they'd sent a they'd sent a thing before that landed on the surface yeah, but, and, but and that's why but like readings. where they maybe where they landed yeah. Was yeah, it's a big moon. A dusty plane, you know. <laughs> yeah. So like like they they couldn't be that precise about it. So like when he when he was stepping off of the ladder, he was putting mm-hmm. his foot down and he's like, is it gonna support Fingers me? Crossed. You know, like and that's why you know the first first one of the first things he says is like he's saying, Okay, my feet are sinking in about this far. 
Right. You know, and it's because like they were really uh, concerned. Pretty worried. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It turns out it's just the right amount of dust for really great footprints. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's very photogenic. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you can add this into your conspiracy theory about. Right. The, yeah. Yeah. Why like, would it be that way? Well, Doesn't I think make any that sense. NASA secretly went ahead of time to set up the uh, the lighting and the. <laughs> it's like they uh-huh. really did land on the moon, but the conspiracy was they also sent Stanley Kubrick to the moon. Yeah, to make it look good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got to dust that, the dust just perfect around the landing site. Yeah. Well, in AFC Wimbledon news, I don't really know uh, what's going on, but I do know that since the last time we recorded, they had a draw. That's all I know. They've got a win and a draw. Great. All right. So on average, they're winning. A win and a draw. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. That's on average. That's winning for yeah. sure. It's yeah, good. Okay. You, they, you can round them up to winning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If they get one now, if they lose one, they've had a, a win, a tie, and a draw, a win, a draw, and a loss. So, yeah. do you round up or down? <laughs> I think I think you know, that, like, that like, at that point is they've they've they're they've they're in the middle. They're a draw. Yeah, and like in rounding, you you round uh you round three point five to four in in math, right? Well, actually, in soccer, yeah, and uh, for some reason, I think that uh, winning is three points, a draw is one, and a loss is zero. So just so, to okay. make the math not make any sense at all. No, that, well, but that gives you an unambiguous answer is a draw is a, is a loss. It's more a loss yes, than a win. More a loss than a win. Yeah. Oh, well, that's a shame. Randall, your book is an absolute delight. Oh, so you. is the first one. I, I, I can't get enough of it, and um, it's such a it's a pleasure to pick it up it's so much m- better than anything that i see when i open my phone so that that's oh. an unambiguous win for everybody um oh thank you it is called what if two uh, abs- additional serious scientific answers to absurd hypothetical questions and um and if you want to see more of what uh, randall does it's xkcd.com and you can join legions of fans who have been following randall for over a decade now, uh, doing really wonderful things there. So you're going to hit 20 years soon, man. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. Um, uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, I'm I'm excited that uh, turns out there's just still a lot more stuff to learn about. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, oh, I'm probably run out, but I'm also no, no. in the at the point in my like science communication career where I realize that th- the things we know now are m- more than they were before. Yeah, there's more. And so there's always new stuff to talk about. Yeah, there's there's more science. There's a question where you're like, oh, this is an interesting question. And then you and, and you're like, yeah, I guess that's it might be this or that. Maybe the dinosaurs died from this, maybe from that. And mm-hmm. then you come back to it. It's like, oh, we solved that. Yeah. Nice. Closure. You know? <laughs> somebody, uh, somebody figured that out. People are always yeah. trying to figure things out. What a delight. Yeah, yeah. The book is What If 2, Additional Serious Scientific Answers to Absurd Hypothetical Questions. It's available September 13th. Everywhere. It's also available for pre-order right now. You can pre-order wherever there are books, and you probably should because it's very, very good. Thank you so much for joining me uh, on this episode, special episode of Dear Hank and John. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tunamedish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas. Our communications coordinator is Brooke Shotwell. Our editorial assistant is Tabuki Chakravarti. The music you're hearing now at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't forget to be awesome. awesome.